in the shadow of the Ratliff Hotel. Grady had posted himself outside of the saloon and waited to see Sergeant Carson come out of that rear bulkhead. Eventually, the quiet and the darkness got to him, and with no signs of life, Grady retreated to his jeep. He hoped that his old friend was just drunk. In the glaring light of the next morning, he frowned as he surveyed the gaunt figure passing over the narrow main street flanked by shacks and storefronts. Carson was still wearing that old-timey suit from the night before. The pants came up a bit high above his waist, and Grady could see black leather boots like Doc Martens on his friend's feet. He looked as if he was about to have an old-time photo taken, the kind you see in people's attic rec rooms and basement bars after their trip to Deadwood or Gettysburg, the ones with a housewife or teenage daughter from Fresno inevitably dressed as a saloon girl. The father always clutched a rifle or a pistol of some sort to erase the fact that he spent his life selling insurance. The possibility that Carson was just going to pop into some gift shop along the row of rotting structures and smile for a digitized sepia-toned print before buying some Slim Jims and a new cord to charge his cell phone seemed as alien as a theme park on the moon. The wind-splintered boards of the buildings, the weathered walls now the color of dried dog turd, the slope and bend of the roofs that were once straight, all seemed a thousand miles from the lacquered plywood of a college kid in a pork pie hat selling sarsaparilla at some frontier-themed town in Anaheim. Please be drunk, Grady said under his breath as he watched Carson climb the high steps along the boardwalk and enter a building bearing a sign reading McCormick's Mercantile. Grady crunched through the gravel of the parking lot and walked past the wood barrier without any of the due trepidation he'd felt before. The windows of the old building still watched him as he moved down the street, and this got his hackles up, but not as much as before. He mounted the same steps that Carson had, and raised a hand to his forehead, blocking the glare on the window. The morning sun was shooting slanted, cider-colored beams through the windows, turning a million specks of dust into little comets that spun and drifted in the cold air. Grady blinked in surprise at the high shelves along the walls. They were lined with neatly stacked canned goods behind the monolith of an old brass cash register. Lanterns with their glass coverings still intact hung from nails on the ceiling beams. Unmoldered old-time clothing beamed with color in the display cases that somehow still held their glass. Even the walls where axes and washboards hung on nails shined with bright paint, the yellowish-green color of avocado meat. Carson had donned a black canvas apron and was stocking one of the far shelves. Grady furrowed his brow in concern. He wanted the clothing and the stocking of shelves to be just part of an act, part of Carson's job to recreate the past, though he knew no tourists were on this way up to this dump any time soon. Grady reached for the door handle, happy to see this one was not secured with a hasp, and pushed it open. A tiny bell clanged overhead, and Grady watched Carson through the open door. What's going on, Sergeant? Grady called from the stoop, not wanting to enter the strange space. Carson paid him no mind. The room smelled of cigar smoke and peppermint from candy in the glass containers on the counter. Grady sniffed it deeply, enjoying the odor and wondering why the gleaming paint on the shelves didn't have the familiar wet paint smell, as someone had to have recently coated them. Carson hefted an old wooden crate onto the counter next to the register. McCantry's Fruits and Produce, Atlanta, Georgia, was calligraphied onto the side of the box, with filigree behind the lettering, like on a dollar bill. The logo stood out bright black, almost wet-looking against the new white pine slats of the box. "'What you doing, Sergeant?' Grady called again. This time, his voice was higher and shakier than he would have liked. The NCO said nothing. Sergeant Carson, Grady said firmly, trying to re-inject some baritone into his voice. I need to talk to you. On the wake of his declaration, Grady strode into the room. Well, if you want to ignore me, that's your problem. But I came a long way on one leg, 
just to let you know it's not your fault. The man in the apron didn't even blink. He moved like a machine, bending at the waist to seize cans in each hand, pivot to the shelf, place the cans, then turn back to repeat the action. I think you should at least look at me. Carson didn't break from his work. Turn, bend, grab, turn, place, repeat. Grady stood still in the quiet of the room, watching the man totally immersed in the stocking of the shelves. He wanted to be angry, but Carson's complete disassociation from Grady, and apparently everything else, gave way to concern. Sergeant, can you hear me? Carson said nothing. He picked up the crappy nub of a pencil off the counter and began to mark something on a piece of old paper. Do you know what's going on? Grady asked. Carson went back to his shelf and began to twist the canned goods until the labels bearing a calligraphy logo were a uniform dress-right dress. Grady frowned at the cans in the growing morning light. They weren't yellowed or aged. Whatever glue or fixative that held on the labels had not started to crinkle the paper or form craggy lines. They looked like they had just come from Safeway, but the paper wasn't glossy and new like what canned goods were labeled with now. It's going to be a bad winter, Carson said softly. Grady raised his eyebrows in surprise. Carson stepped back from the shelf of peaches to admire his work, then crossed the room with an empty crate in hand. Gonna be a bad winner, Grady asked stupidly, not knowing what else to say. Carson nodded and dropped the empty box on its side, then began to crush it to pieces under his Doc Martin-looking boot. In spite of how stupid things were, Grady found himself kind of wanting a pair like those. Sergeant, you don't have to stay up here. You don't have to feel bad. I can still do all the stuff I used to, and I get a check every month. Carson bent and finger-swept the divots of the crushed crate into his palms, then thrust them into the metal wood stove in the middle of the room. He did it with an easy familiarity that suggested this was all normal, and standard procedure now. You know, Sergeant, everybody who's normal says I would have died if you hadn't been there. Nobody holds it against you. They did finally give you a citation. It's in my Jeep. Grady pointed in the general direction of the parking lot and wished they could just get in that Jeep and get out of there. Carson walked over to that metal panzer of a cash register and slammed home one of the keys before pulling a lever that made the big thing clatter and spit out a heavy tray like some old-time slot machine. He reached over and grabbed his paper and the nub of pencil and then sighed. Yep, they tell me it's going to be a rough time starting in October. Maybe early as September this year, Carson said absently. Who told you that? Grady asked. Carson frowned at Grady. Everyone here, Carson said cocking his head out the window at the empty town. Grady sat in front of the fire he had built in the gravel of the parking lot, with a piece of spam on a stick. From where he sat on the gravel, Grady watched the former Sergeant Carson frolicking on a hillside. Carson would sprint for a few yards, and then spin and twist and juke amidst the sagebrush, dodging and leaping, and then dipping low and picking up a stick and casting it into the distance. He crouched in a half-squat, and jammed his pointer finger in the direction of the cast stick and yelled, Go get it! to the unseen presence apparently baying at his heels. The stick wasn't retrieved, but that didn't stop Carson from playing the most enthusiastic game of fetch Grady had ever seen. It would have been a relief to see that weary, exhausted man do something as innocent as play fetch with a dog, if there was in fact a dog there. The spam was starting to sizzle, and Grady snatched it between his last two pieces of rye bread. He had spent that afternoon watching Carson wait on people in the store that only he could see. This was no act, no mean attempt to push Grady away. Carson was crazy, and Grady had no idea what to do about it. In the Army, the acronym ACE, Ask, Care, Escort, had been drilled into them relentlessly. It meant you were supposed to ask someone if they were contemplating suicide, then escort them to a person who knew how to help, like a chaplain or a counselor. The problem was they were a million miles away from everything, it seemed. 
There was no cell range or any real means to get legitimate help. What would he tell the veteran hotline if he could get a signal anyway? Um, my friend has an imaginary friend or friends or, um, he has imaginary friends? Yes, ma'am. Has he or is he about to hurt himself or someone else? Um, wanting to hurt yourself or someone else seemed to be the magic phrase all the shrinks he had talked to in the army seemed to cling to. If a detachment of white-clad men with dog-catcher nets came to rescue Sergeant Carson, it's unlikely they would be able to hunt him down up here in these mountains, given how well he had avoided Grady. The truth was anyone that could help him would probably just be glad that another shell-shocked vet was far away from civilization, a place where he couldn't hurt anyone else in a PTSD-fueled rage of gunfire or explosives at the mall or church or political event. Despite the fact that his private asylum was cratered with open mine shafts and little yellow signs warning of semi-dormant explosives and arsenic left by less-than-green prospectors, Grady would have to do what he'd been taught. He would have to babysit the odd figure that passed for his old battle buddy, until who knew how long. He frowned, watching his friend reach out and rock happily on his back, tussling and wrestling with the invisible dog on the hillside. He looked away into the dying embers of his fire as the sunset left an eerie purple glow in the distance. He wanted to feel sad, but he couldn't. Sometimes it was hard for him to feel happy also, or mad, or much of anything. The long, aching nights and lonely days that had swirled around him like a dream had circumcised some part of his emotions, or at least how well he could express them, and left him a dried-out stump that oozed with something undefinable, no matter how much progress they told him he was making. He looked up again at Sergeant Carson rising from the sagebrush and saw the emphatic, happy grin on the man's face. Grady had to admit, part of him felt envious. He watched Carson turn and head down the slope of the hill towards town, and sighed, knowing he would need to follow the madman and keep an eye on him. He stood up and walked past the barrier of the parking lot. The windows of the buildings at his flanks had no sun on them, so they'd lost their snake-like reptilian eyes. But when he looked up at the shack stretched up before him on the hillside, he stopped dead in the gravel. Up ahead, the squares and rectangles that passed for the structure's windows danced with faint firefly glows. The shacks on those hillsides and ridges exposed pinpricks of candlelight. He blinked in the near dark. His mouth opened in surprise as the firelight behind the windows glimmered, flooding his mind with unwelcomed images. Grady pictured a legion of long-dead people striking matches, hanging lanterns, and hoisting candles to the windows their faceless forms moving amid the light of their cook fires and oil lamps to play cards and smoke pipes and tell old ghost stories in the amber glow of the timeless light grady's frame began to quake alone in the middle of the gravelly street he wanted to run when he saw carson appear from an alleyway and began to cross the street sergeant grady called sergeant carson paid him no mind making his way over the gravel sergeant grady called feeling the reluctant drag of his body that wanted to run in the exact opposite direction and far away from the ghost lights. Sergeant, we gotta get out of here. Carson stopped to smile and tip his hat to someone who only he saw in the darkness of the street. Grady's eyes peered into the fading light for whoever he had just greeted. There was no one. Grady was only slightly relieved by this in the glow of a whole community, lit up a thousand miles from human habitation. Carson ducked into another alley on the far side of the street, and Grady shot after him, feeling winded in the thin air. Carson broke from the back of the alley with Grady in tow and began to walk up the steep slope of the facing hillside towards a lone cabin perched on the incline. Unlike the rest of the structures, this one was dark, and Grady wasn't sure if that was good or bad. Carson had already entered the shack on the hill by the time Grady slowly came upon it. 
shooting his gaze from side to side for anything that might be waiting in the brush or watching him from a nearby rooftop. All he saw were those flickering lights in the near distance, burning brighter as the darkness of evening grew. Carson had left the door open, and Grady watched from the doorway as Carson dragged a match and held it to a coal oil lamp that slowly caught the flame and cast its flickering glow over the tiny space. The doorway was low like the ones the duo had smacked their heads on during countless tours of historic places when they were stationed in Italy. People weren't as tall back then, Carson had explained after one of the gangly privates melon thumped the skull on the lintels of some old place. The room smelled like wood smoke and something alkaline. The gaps in the logs of the walls were packed with white, thick clay. There was a wireframe bed in the corner piled with thick quilts. Old daguerreotype pictures in wooden frames hung on the far wall. A crew of vacant-eyed figures in bonnets and bowler hats glared back at Grady in the lamplight with the disdainful confusion people tended to wear in old pictures. There was a small table and wicker chair near a wood-burning stove in the middle of the room. Carson took off his suit coat and hung it on a peg next to other coats and hats, then bent to fiddle with the stove. So this is where you live? Grady asked absently from the door, hearing the exhaustion in his own voice, still casting weary glances of her shoulder at the illuminated ghost town. The metal door of the stove groaned as Carson opened it and struck another match. Grady watched it illuminate the little black space and catch a neatly prepared pile of dried grass and small twigs. I make sure it's ready to go for when I come back from the store, Carson said, rocking back on his haunches as the fire grew. He tossed the match in the firebox, leaving the stove door open. He made his way to the wicker chair, slipping his suspenders off his shoulders with his thumbs before leaning back and setting his feet on a lard can. He crossed his legs with a thoughtful expression, then dragged his eyes from the glowing fire to Grady, leering in the doorway. The duo stared at each other for a while. The happy facade that Carson seemed to wear in his Wild West wonderland seemed to slip away for a moment. Grady saw the sadness of memory in those exhausted blue orbs. That familiar way a face of a twenty-something could look years older than it should, haunted by things that had burned past the retinas and into a mind that would never let them go. In Iraq, Grady had seen that look on Carson before. As the bloody sun sank over the long horizon one evening, he watched him fill his stinking, sweat-stained helmet with water. Everyone was bone-tired and seemed to move in slow motion during the hot evening. Carson bunched up his dirty baklava, sunk it into that water in his helmet, then slowly dragged it from his forehead towards his chin, pulling the flesh down and dredging a line of pink skin through the grime in its path. He looked up at a broken chunk of mirror, and Grady saw in the reflective sliver those exhausted hollow eyes. It was the evening after PFC Bomb died, the battalion's first casualty. He was vaporized save for a bloody boot and the remaining tarsals and metatarsals that slid around inside. Carson stared at Grady's prosthetic. Does it hurt? Carson asked Grady in a surprisingly direct and lucid tone. Grady shook his head. Not really. I want you to get out of here and come with me, Grady said, casting a glance back at the village of ghost lights, fighting the urge to shiver in the dead sunset. Carson seemed to think about it for a moment, then shook his head. I feel better up here. I'm worried about you, Grady said, feeling a pang of embarrassment to express a feeling about another guy so directly. Carson slid his feet off the lard can and leaned forward, folding his hands together in his lap. I don't want to pretend anymore. You've been playing with an imaginary dog all afternoon, and you're tired of pretending? Grady asked. Carson snorted a little chuckle and shook his head. There are a lot of things most people can't see up here, he said. Carson, Grady said, foregoing the formerly required sergeant, I want you to come into town with me and talk to somebody. Like who?
Someone that talks with people who tongue-punch the air, he said, feeling awkward at the memory of seeing Carson kiss the air. The corner of Carson's mouth turned up slightly, as if he was embarrassed. He pulled a small canvas bag from his pants pocket. Nah, I think I'm doing okay. He patted his chest as if looking for something, and then stood up and fished in the drawer of a crudely constructed nightstand. First time in a long time. He fished a pipe from one of the drawers, and then began to fill it with little bits of tobacco from the bag. So, what will happen when winter comes? Grady asked. <laughs> It'll snow, Carson chuckled. What are you going to eat? Well, Carson began to search around the room, evidently for another match. There's an elk that's been working its way around the top of the ridge. I figure I can get that. An elk? Grady could feel a familiar grin on his face he remembered flashing in the past before when he and Carson would tease each other. You, uh, shoot a bunch of elk back there in Phoenix? Still grinning, he leaned forward and handed Carson his plastic big lighter, since Grady still seemed lost in his search for a match. There's plenty at the general store if I can't get the elk, Carson said. He paused to stare quizzically at the little neon orange lighter in his hand, but otherwise seemed unconcerned about Grady's needling. I keep getting shipments of goods out of Lander, he said, fumbling with the lighter like it was something from another planet. Grady wanted to slap Carson, but didn't think it would do any good. He leaned in to show Carson how to rotate the flint wheel of the Bic, but then, as if gripped by sudden familiarity, Carson rolled the flints on his own. Nah, Carson said, carefully bringing the flame to his pipe. He fought with it for a moment, but it lighted. I think we're all going to be just fine. All who? Grady asked. Carson took a preliminary puff on his pipe, then stared thoughtfully out his window at the firefly glow in the homes and businesses spread out beneath him. How long did it take to light all of those? Grady said, pointing out the window, hoping Carson would admit to lighting them, though he knew there was no way he could have. What? The light's out there. How long does it take to light them all? How'd you get into all those places? Carson frowned at Grady like he was stupid. They just come on by themselves, huh? Spontaneous combustion? Carson leaned back in his chair to observe the glowing window panes in the distance. The longer you're here, the more you'll see he said absently. What do you mean? Grady asked. Carson gave little regard as he sucked on the pipe stem. It used to bother me a little, but remember how they used to tell us you could get used to anything? So that's the end of chapter five. I hope you liked it. Again, if you want to hear the first audiobook I put out, it's called Anna Shoots. You can find it in the links below. Also, if you're interested in my first traditional novel, The Burka Cave, um, came out last summer, and you can buy it on Amazon. The links for that are below. I hope everyone is safe and doing okay, and I'll try to have another chapter up for you next week.